Okay, so I've got the second Bible reading for tonight, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, and going to the end of the chapter. And you can find it in some few Bibles on page 1194. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Well, good evening, everyone. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors at this church. A warm welcome to you, especially if you're here for the first time visiting us this evening. Uh, As you uh, can see right up front, the flags are up, the English and the UK flag. This is to honour those who have fought for us, for our freedom. We honour them. They're they're big sacrifices for our sake that we might enjoy what we have now. And of course we're here to honour the bigger and greater sacrifice, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus himself who died for us that we might be saved. Well friends, I want to get ready. Why don't you turn around, welcome each other, talk to each other and I'll call you back in a moment. Grab an outline if you don't have one and I'll call you back shortly. Okay, well let me get your attention. Do keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and let's uh, turn to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know you are the source of all wisdom and so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you might impart some of that to us tonight as we open up your word. We pray that your spirit will work in us, that we might understand your words as they really are the words of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, have you ever wondered how profound how extraordinary, how even supernatural it is that anyone at all, any human being at all, can actually know God, can actually understand the things of God. Have you ever wondered that? How can we human beings come to understand the God who is transcendent, that is, he is beyond us, he is above us? How can any me human being come to understand and know of the all-powerful God? How can mere human beings like us come to understand the all-wise God? I mean, God is big. We often lose that perspective in life. God is big, really big. And we are small. Really, really, really small. One of 
seven billions of people around the world, uh, one of how many billions of people throughout human history. We are small. God is so big. So how extraordinary is it that anyone can come to know God? You see, in our first Bible reading, we, we read a bit of that in Isaiah chapter 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands or the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who? Who's done that? Who's measured the heavens? Who's held the sea in his hands? Well, the answer is meant to be no one. No one except God. And who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who's done that? Well, none of us. Any of you held the mountains in your hands, measured all that? Well, no one except God. Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counsellor? We're meant to say no one. So how is it, as wonderful as our little human minds might be, as brilliant as our minds might be, how, can, how is it at all possible that we can discover God and the things of God? Have you ever wondered how extraordinary that is? Have you ever wondered how that is even at all possible? It's a, if you think about it like this, if we want to learn things as human beings, if we want to study a subject, for example, if we want to learn about, for example, law, the topic of law, the subject of law, what do you do to learn about law? Well, you might read some books, read a lot of books that will engage your mind. You might learn something there. Some of you might even go to university, commit four years to study, or is it five or six what a smarter one doing for, right? No. <laughs> well, it's many years just to learn law. And so you go to university, you study, and you might learn something. You might practice law to learn law. I'm sure you learn something. <laughs> when we want to learn a subject, we apply our minds, we read, we study, and we come to know that subject. But what if you want to know about a person? Is that the same way in how you approach learning a subject? How do I come to know a person? Well, to know a person is actually quite different to studying a subject, right? To know a person, I need to spend time with the person, do things like talk to the person, chat with the person, share with the person, go out with the person. You see, to know a person is extraordinarily different to knowing a subject. I can't know you by reading a book. I know you by spending time with you. But... How then do I move on to knowing more of the person, to really know a person, to know what the person's desire is, to know what the person's plans and purposes are? What do you think is required then? I might spend time with you, but that is itself limited as well. Have you ever wondered how people build relationship that way? Well, what is needed is that that person needs to reveal what is in that person's heart and mind. And so... How does this happen with God? How do we, we human beings, get to get into the mind and heart of God? And so have you ever wondered how extraordinary it is that anyone can actually know the mind of God, what is on God's heart, what is in God's mind? Well, today in our passage, this is the very privilege, this is the very honour that Paul tells the Corinthians that you have. You as Christians get to enjoy this. You as me human beings get to enter into the mind of God. You as human beings get to understand the purposes of God, the plans of God. You as human beings get to have the wisdom of God. 
And so in our passage, Paul reminds the Corinthians, you Christians, you actually have this. The world won't get this, but you do. Now, let's think about the world. The world as brilliant as, as the world is in their thinking, in their inventions, in all that they've done. The great scientists, the great inventors, what have we come up with? Well, we've invented cars and ships and planes. We've invented coffee machines, which are brilliant. <laughs> but where have the greatest scientists uh, come to? What conclusions have the brilliant minds of our world come to? Well, so many of our brilliant minds in this world come to the conclusion that there is no God. You see, the wisdom of this world, the thinking of this world, the brain power of this world is limited. The movers and shakers of this world, we cannot apply brain power to come to discover God. We cannot apply brain power to discover the plans and purposes of God. We can't treat God like studying a subject. You see, it's something we cannot just work out. But yet it's so strange that even Christians would get so interested in what the, the big shots of our world think. The Christians are so interested in what the famous think, what the rich and wealthy, what they say. Don Carson, he assesses what Christians do these days and he says, why should Christians be infatuated with paper heroes who win the passing applause of a dying world? but who from an eternal perspective are without significance. You see, the world in our thinking, in our wisdom, cannot know God. We cannot discover God through our own thinking. We cannot understand the heart and mind of God through our own brain power. But yet Paul actually reveals something else in our passage today. He says the wisdom of God, what is in the mind and heart of God, it actually has been hidden from this world. And so have a look at chapter 2, verse 6. Verse 6 and 7. Paul says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. The mature here, he's talking about Christians who get it. But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. They are those who don't get it and will come to nothing, will be destroyed. No, Paul says, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. And so what is this wisdom of God? What is it that we can know about God? What is this secret wisdom that God has planned out before time began for our glory? Well, the wisdom of God here, as we've seen over the past few weeks, centres on the cross of Christ. That is at the heart of the mind and heart of God. The message of the cross of Christ. This one message separates the world absolutely. One group looks at this message and says, this is a foolish message. Who would believe this nonsense? And Paul says in verse 18, he says, those who think that way are perishing. But yet those who see it as the power of God to save, well, they are the ones who are being saved. Now the wisdom of God is most profoundly, most gloriously displayed in the cross of Christ. And so when you see the cross of Christ, you actually get to see the wisdom and power of God. Now, just think about how strange that is. God's glory displayed in the cross of Christ. Now, how would our world think about glory and power? How is that displayed in our world? When do you feel wise and glorious? Well, perhaps we people feel glorious on our graduation day. 
Now you've studied all those years, you, you now get a certificate. The focus is on you that day and a thousand others. But it's on you. Or on the wedding day, a glorious day. The focus is on you again. People are looking at you, but yet they're also looking at themselves and what they're wearing. Or perhaps the glorious day for you might be the new job, the promotion. What glory that is we experience. And they're the things we look up to. Before God, how is his glory displayed? It was in the death of his son. The death of his one and only beloved son, the saviour, the king of the universe. And why is that? Why is that glorious? Why is that the wisdom of God? Because in that event, God rescues this world out of darkness, out of the hold of sin and death and brings them into his kingdom where they can know God, where they can know him, be with him and enjoy him forever. And so that's what Paul goes on to say in verses 8 to 9. Have a look. Now the rulers of this age, they're the movers and shakers of this world. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And what is it that God has prepared for those who love him? Well, those who love him, those who God, whom God loves, those who actually come to understand the cross as the power of God to save. Well, what is it that God has prepared? Well, he's preparing salvation for us to see that. I'm a wretched sinner, but yet this one would go to the cross in my place. This one would go to the cross to win me a place in heaven. And so the wisdom of God is most profoundly, most gloriously displayed in the cross of Christ. But yet that is concealed from the world for a long time until now, until when Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And so how can anyone come to know the wisdom of God? How did the Apostle Paul come to know the wisdom of God? Well, just like what is necessary to know the mind and heart of any person, it is up to God to reveal his mind and heart. It is not up to us to think it, to use our brain power to discover it. It is actually up to God to reveal it. And how has God done that? Well, Paul tells us God has revealed his mind, his heart, his purposes by his spirit. God reveals his wisdom by his spirit. And Paul goes on to say, his spirit knows everything about him. And so his spirit is able to reveal God, illuminate the minds of the people so that they might understand God. So have a look at verse 10. But God has revealed to us by his spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So if anyone's going to reveal it, it's up to God to reveal it. And God has done that by his Spirit. Now Paul illustrates this point. He he tries to say this just makes sense. Look at verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? You see, no one knows me better than myself. That's what Paul's saying. No one knows me better than my inner self, than my spirit can Anyone know my mind if I don't reveal it? Can anyone know my heart if I don't reveal it? That's what Paul is saying. And so if you think about it, that is so true. For us to know anyone really well, it's up to that person to reveal that person's own heart's desire, own mind. And so let's, let's think about this for example. 
Do you know what I'm thinking about now? You might guess, you might take a guess. Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> um, close, but not. Now, I could be thinking about anything, but you won't know unless I tell you, right? Or did you know that I'm a person who don't like chick flicks? Some of you might have guessed that, but you won't know that unless I tell you. But did you know that even though I'm a guy who don't like chick flicks, I would actually cry? Not watching chick flicks, but I have cried, shed some tears when my kids were born. That's the type of man I am. But you see, these things you won't know unless I tell you. Or for another example, do you know that I don't like gardening? You won't know that unless I tell you, but you probably can tell if you've been past our place. (laughs) Thanks, Linda. (laughs) But do you know that I enjoy building IKEA furniture because it makes me feel manly? I mean, we all have these things inside that is unknown to the others unless we reveal it. And so that's what Paul's saying. No one knows me better than myself. And you won't know me unless I share with you. And the same, same way with God. And so verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And so you get where we're up to. How do we actually come to know God? We can't think about God and discover him. It's actually up to God to reveal himself. And God has done that by his spirit. And that's what God has given Paul the apostle. God has given him the spirit. Verse 12, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand that God has, what God has freely given us. You see, God has not just given us the crucified Messiah, God has not just sent his son into the world to die for the world, God has also given us the spirit to understand that Jesus is the crucified Messiah. Not just the saviour, but the spirit to understand that he is the saviour. And that was the very experience of the Apostle Paul himself. If you know his story, before he became poor, he was called Saul. He was a man who was, um, uh, he knew the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures inside out. He was an intelligent man. He was well-trained. He was someone who had a big brain. He was knowledgeable. But was it his knowledge that got him to understand that Jesus was the saviour? Well, no. You see, he saw the cross and he saw that it was a message of foolishness. In fact, he went around persecuting Christians, putting them into prison. He even approved of having Christians killed. But then what happened? Did he suddenly become smarter one day, read a book and try to discover what that was on about? Well, no, on the road to Damascus, he was confronted by Jesus himself and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that comes from God. And his spiritual eyes were open. He was illuminated. He now saw the cross as it really was, the power of God to save. And so the wisdom of God, it was concealed, but now it has been revealed by God in the message of the cross and he has revealed that to people by his spirit. But now, how does the spirit actually do that? Well, God reveals his wisdom by his spirit and it is through his word. That's what Paul goes on to say. It is through the word of God that the spirit-inspired word of God becomes clear. Paul and the apostles, they were entrusted with the word of God. They were entrusted to record the word of God, write it down, pass it and proclaim it. 
And so what this means here is, what Paul is trying to say is that the Word of God works alongside the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God works alongside the Word of God. They work together. The Spirit applies the Word of God to people that they might understand the Word. And so this is the very Word, the very message that Paul was proclaiming. That's what he says. Verse 13, have a look. This is what we speak. This is the Word of God. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And so the Spirit of God and the Word of God work together. Without the Spirit of God, you cannot come to understanding the Word of God. Without the Spirit of God, you look at the Word of God, you look at the message of the crossing, you just see foolishness. This is nonsense. Uh, Without the Spirit, you read the Bible and the Bible calls me a sinner. And what do we think? We think, I'm not a sinner. I'm a decent person. Without the Spirit of God, we read the Word of God. The Bible tells us that there is a judgment day where all our thoughts and actions will be laid bare before the judge of the universe and we will be judged for that. Without the Spirit, what will we be thinking? We'll be thinking, that's not going to happen. I don't care about judgment day. The Bible tells us that there is lasting hope, lasting peace and joy in trusting Jesus as the Messiah. Without the Spirit, will I understand that? No, I'll say I find hope and peace and joy somewhere else. Now, isn't that how many of us were before we became Christians? Before we became Christians, the Bible just doesn't make sense. The Gospel just doesn't make sense. And so, think back about your conversion experience. You see, at some point, we would have come to understand that the cross of Christ Though the world sees it as foolishness, though we at one point see it as a message that is foolish and naive, but at one point we come to realise that I am a sinner. I am one who deserves the judgement of God. My sin cost the Son of God his life. And I come to realise also, Jesus, what a great saviour, that he would die in my place. For us to understand that requires the Spirit of God. Without the Spirit's conviction, I would never know that I'm a sinner. I would never care that I'm a sinner. And so in verse 14, Paul says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so Paul wants the church to know you are Christians. You Corinthians, you are Christians. You are spiritual because the Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of God has illuminated your minds so that you can understand the cross of Christ. But of course, the world in its wisdom will continue to judge the Christian. You fools. You don't know what you're thinking. Why will you believe in such nonsense? How can you believe that? In fact, in the, uh, during the second century, there was a Greek philosopher by the name of Celsus. He sneered and he bagged out the Christians. He said this, Let no one educated No one wise, no one sensible draw near, that is, draw near to the Christian faith. For these abilities are thought by us to be evils. But as for anyone ignorant, anyone stupid, anyone uneducated, anyone who is a child, let him come boldly to the Christian faith. Do you see how he was sneering and making a mockery out of Christians? He's actually saying only the foolish and the stupid and the naive would ever become Christians. The smart, the intelligent, the the ones to be, they would never. 
And so Paul here reminds the Christians, don't let yourself be judged by what the world thinks. They'll always think you're foolish for believing this message. Don't worry about what they think. You are the wise ones. You are the spiritual ones. And so he says that in the final verses, verse 15, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Don't worry about what the world says about you. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul, uh, Paul comforts them and reassures them. You Christians, you have the mind of Christ. And so today, the wisdom of God, God's mind, God's heart, it was concealed for a time, but it has now been revealed in the message of the cross. It's applied by the Spirit and it is through the word of God that we know. Now, why do you think Paul was trying to make this point? It's quite deep, it's theological, it's talking about the Spirit and the word of God. Why was he trying to make this clear? Well, he wanted them to see that they, they who are Christians have the secret wisdom of God and they get that only by the work of the Spirit with the word of God. Recall that this was a church that was quite messed up. This was a church there where there were lots of problems, a lot of issues, people claiming to be more superior than the others, people claiming to be more spiritual than the others in the church. And so Paul wants them to be crystal clear here. There's, there, there's actually only two kinds of people in the world, two groups of people in the world, and there's only one kind of Christian. You see, the message of the cross, as we've already seen, is a message that divides the world into two camps, into two groups. It's not race that divides us. It's not country or nationality or culture that divides us. It's not even gender that divides us. What divides this world into the two is the cross of Christ. Those who see it as a message of foolishness, they are the ones who are perishing. And then those who see it as the power of God to, to save, well, they are the ones who will be saved. And so Paul says to them, there are two kinds of people in the world, one kind of Christian. And so if there's only one kind of Christian, there's no, no such thing as you being more superior than the other, you being more spiritual than the other. All Christians are spiritual. All Christians are wise the same. And so Paul, in a sense, will be saying the same thing to us and this is worth us hearing. You see, if we are all Christians, it means that we are all spiritual. There's no sense of spiritual superiority. If I serve in more ministry teams than you, it doesn't make me any better than you. It doesn't make me any more spiritual than you. If I've been to Bible college, if I've learnt languages, if I, if I write studies, lead studies, if I preach, it doesn't actually make me any more spiritual than you. We are the same in Christ. We are spiritual because we are saved by the same spirit, by virtue of what God has done for us. God alone has provided Jesus Christ as Saviour and he's provided us with his spirit to understand that Jesus is Saviour. Two kinds of people in the world, one kind of Christian. Now Paul also here wants us to see that the spirit of God works alongside the word of God in sync with the Word of God, aligned with the Word of God. And so people in this church in Corinth, they were claiming spiritual superiority because they claimed to have different um, insights from the Spirit. And so when people claim that the Spirit of God has spoken to me, told me something, 
Today you hear some things, uh, things that are similar. The Spirit of God told me to date a certain person or to marry a certain person or to do a certain job or to pursue a certain career. He's actually missing the point of what the Spirit's role is. The Spirit works with the Word of God in applying the Word of God. The Spirit helps me understand the secret wisdom of God. And so that is to ultimately understand the message of the cross. The Spirit works to apply the Word of God to our lives so that we will believe and trust and obey, so that we will respond in loving service. And finally here, just as I started, have you ever wondered how profound, how extraordinary it is that mere human beings like us can actually come to understand God, can actually come to understand and know the mind and heart of God? Well, the extraordinary thing is, and that is Paul's reminder, that is, you Christians do, you have that. He ends here, you have the mind of Christ. Not because you are wise, not because you lived a decent life, not because you are brilliant, but because of God's great love and mercy that earthlings like us might get an insight into the Almighty. This must be a constant reminder to us that, that we are in a privileged position, given insight into the mind of God. And this is a constant reminder I give myself. I mean, we all have so many different pressures and struggles and things that come up during the week, things that just put us on track, things that will bring us down, things that will disappoint us. But we must be reminded we have the best thing ever already as Christians. We have an insight into the wisdom of God. We have the mind of Christ. See, God has revealed his secret wisdom. And how has he done that? He's done that by his spirit, through his word. That's a glorious privilege we enjoy, that we, me human beings, can actually understand the grand purposes of God. Now, of course, here tonight, I'm not presuming that everyone here is Christian. And if you are not Christian, then I want to say that you can actually come. Come and understand what the cross of Christ is. But what you can do also is to seek God and ask him to grant you mercy and to grant you his spirit that you might come and understand too. And so if the cross is confusing to you, don't let that stop you. Seek God, pray to him. But for us Christians, we have the mind of Christ. We know the grand purposes of God and that is ultimately and gloriously displayed in the cross of Christ. That is what we have. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your great mercy, though your wisdom was concealed for a time, it has been revealed in the message of the cross. And we thank you that you give us your spirit and your word that we might understand it, believe it and obey it. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that that might be the case for everyone here tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.